0: Anyone else feeling the dragon fruit fever in Mzanzi? Grown in the coastal regions of KwaZulu-Natal, the Eastern Cape and Western Cape, this crop may be the next niche commodity for new farmers to tap into. And this week, we share a guide to growing dragon fruit for beginner farmers. We have an exclusive with GrainSA CEO Dr. Peter Taljart about how technology is helping farmers level up and get the most out of their land. Kopano Makonyane, owner of Kopano's Apothecary, a Johannesburg-based agribusiness, joins our Agripreneur 101 segment to talk about her product line she created to treat her eczema. Our book of the week is Restoration Agriculture by Mark Shepherd, And our farmer tip of the week comes from Shamima Nazir, private wealth consultant at Fairburn, a division of Old Mutual. This is Farmers Inside Track. Supported by Food for Zanzi,
1: inspiration for your business and life from South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs.
0: Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 118, our Farmers Insight Track. I'm Dornumdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food for Zanzi, and today I'm flying solo. My co-host and Food for Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa, has his head in the books for the next year. Let's get straight into it with that promised guide to growing dragon fruit for beginner farmers. Nicole chats to Lo Devet from Fire Fruit Farming.
2: Thank you so much, Dawn. Lo, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? How did you get into dragon fruit farming?
3: I grew up on a farm outside of Robertson. My family's been here since 1854. I'm currently the sixth generation on the land. I did my bachelor's degree in B. Agric. Admin at the University of Stellenbosch. And 2010, I started working on the farm. How I got into dragon fruit, it was quite a supernatural happening. I was looking through Instagram one day and I saw a photo of a a cut through dragon fruit and I, I was in awe. So I started doing a bit of research with regards to dragon fruit. It was a time where we were looking at other possibilities or alternatives on the farm. We were going through a drought at the time and I started doing some research and the dragon fruit sort of stuck with me. There was a little seed planted that day. One day I got a prophetic word from a lady and she said that what I am thinking about doing on the farm, she said there is something that you are thinking about doing on the farm, something new that hasn't been done before. It is from the Lord. So when she said that, I immediately knew she was referring to the dragon fruit. And that was my confirmation to go ahead and start pursuing this dream.
2: Can you tell us a bit about the process of dragon fruit farming? Just a few of the basics.
3: So dragon fruit farming is a very exciting industry to be in. A very new industry, especially in South Africa, where we are starting to have a lot more growers still a very young and new industry with a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid out. It is a plant that is very explosive. The way it produces fruit and the flowers, everything about it is miraculous. It makes a big normally white flower that opens for one night only. That's why they also call it the lady of the night or the queen of the night. And that flower needs to get pollinated during that day. One of the main things is the trellis needs to be strong enough. So it needs some type of trellis. There's Many variations that you can go into, so it's not correct or wrong, but your trellis needs to be strong and steady enough because the plants can become quite heavy at the mature age. So that's sort of one of the most crucial things. In certain areas, shade netting would be a massive improvement, especially in the hotter, drier areas. But if you have a more subtropical, not-so-harsh climate, then it should be fine outside in the open air. It's a plant that needs good drainage. You do not want the clay that's for soil that's full of clay. You want good draining soil that's rich in high in organic matter, some mulch or, or some type of covering, cover crop. It's a plant that needs to be trellis, so you need to tie it and you need to prune it and then you just manage it. It is important to keep in mind the fact that it's quite expensive to establish an orchard and also that... If you do want to produce dragon fruit that you will need some cold chain infrastructure. It's crucial that the fruit of being harvested handled and stored at the right temperatures to ensure a long shelf life of 40 days plus. So there is some big infrastructure that needs to be laid out in order for dragon fruit to be farmed. Make sure firstly that you don't get harsh frost, not to go too big without making sure that it is scalable and it can be successful over the long term get the correct varieties in the world there's over 150 different varieties of which we currently have over 75 so we are evaluating each and every one of those to ensure that we have the best varieties at the end of the day and then we will release those varieties for the plantations etc.
2: How about the market? What does the market look like for people who want to go into dragon fruit farming?
3: There will be a big focus on the export market as South Africa or Southern Africa have a unique window frame in which we can produce fruits where the two biggest producing countries are not in production yet. Those are Vietnam and China. So we have a window and the opportunity, I believe, especially in Europe, The advantage we have in South Africa is we have quite a a decent long season where generally you'll start to come. The first fruit in the early parts of South Africa come in around November, December, and in the Western Cape. I even harvested my last fruits in July. So it's a season that can be five or six months long, which is quite a nice stretch of seasons. Initially, we will focus most on the local market, there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done with There's a lot of information that needs to be handed over to the clients and especially the supermarkets and the retailers having the product because you can't put it on a, a normal shelf where it's at room temperature. You need to have it at a cooler temperature to ensure it's a good product. Locally there's still a lot of room for growth. I believe they will in eventually be a ceiling in South Africa in the local market and then the other fruits will be exported.
2: And finally, can you tell us a few of the challenges you've experienced and what about the rewards?
3: There's not really success recipes out there yet. A lot of people are still learning some things the hard way, what to do and what not to do, but the rewards and the highlights are definitely, in my opinion, outweighing the challenges and the difficulties. It's such a amazing fruit and if you cut it open and you see the interior are the way the plant opens at night and the bees are how they work it's just a supernatural plant in in a way so the highlights the benefits are definitely up there outweighing the difficulties and the challenges but there are certain things that needs to be done correctly in order to be successful some of the, the biggest highlights is that I get a lot of people that's interested in dragon fruit contacting me. There's a lot of opportunities to do some amazing things, some collaborations and do some amazing things with the dragon fruit at the end of the day. It's just one of those things that you need to be able to share with the world.
0: Thanks, Nicole. And great having you load of it from Fire Fruit Farming. Next up, we have an exclusive with Grain SA CEO, Dr. Peter Talyard. About how technology is helping farmers level up and get the most out of their land. Over to you, Food from Zanzi journalist, Sitsetsu Manoko.
4: I just want to know your immediate tasks that you have been doing since your appointment and taking from what the chairperson was saying, you were appointed during COVID 19 and what has been your immediate tasks? Oh, well, my immediate task was really to get back to the farmers, to talk mm-hmm. to the farmers. At a certain point in time, Graeme I had, for the right reasons, I had to focus and make sure that we interact and engage with government, not that we are not going to continue that, but for the focus for now is really to make sure that we talk to the farmers, understand the farmers and really also assist the farmers to let them understand, help Mm. them, assist them to be more profitable. That's the key focus. Mm. Because the only way we can really continue and we can continue for the long run being sustainable is if grain farmers can Mm. produce profitably. And invest back their own profits, making mm-hmm. to their own farms, mm-hmm. and become standing on their own feet. The Saying getting back to farmers, it's across the square, big mm-hmm. farmers, small farmers, everywhere, making sure that we can assist. The strategy and the drive is really to get more representation of farmers, of grain farmers. Earlier, you spoke about infrastructure. You go around free state roads; they are really bad. What is Grain SA's hope that government will do? I think there's always hope. The key thing is government. There's so many priorities; they have so many places that they need to focus. But I mean, food security for this country is key. I really think there's a lot of people that don't fully appreciate and understand what safe and secure food means in South Africa. Can you just imagine what would have been the situation during COVID if we didn't have enough food, if we had to import more food? In South Africa, we're fortunate that we are a net export of food in total, but for many commodities we are exporting. There's certain commodities like wheat that we didn't need to import. But I think the soybean story is an excellent story over the last 10-15 years what Mm. happened. We replaced a lot of imported soybean oil cake, not only are we replacing that foreign exchange that we should have bought, but we're creating more opportunities and despite that we are continuing to export maize. and in the near future we hope that we can start to export more Mm. chicken meat and I think that's where the value add, that's where the economy will grow Mm. and that's where the job opportunities will come Mm. from. So that's why for us, it's really important to understand, and I mean, the grain industry do play such a significant role in all the other value chains, because it's it's input into many livestock, mm-hmm. yes it's a basic foodstuff, but actually that's the foundation that you need to add more value. With. That's why the grain industry for us is so critical, mm-hmm. we work a lot with the other industries, we work a lot with government, we work a lot with the, the rest of the industry. Because so actually, if you put farmers in the middle, there's three parties around it. You. you can put a triangle around it. On the one hand, there's government, there's your input supplies, and there's the value chain, the output. Mm-hmm. And we all invest together. We all need to build this, make sure that we can grow this mm-hmm. piece. We must grow this piece of cake so that we can share, so that we can continue to make all a living. And, and stop relying on agriculture. But yes, back to the original question, the infrastructure is key. The fortunate rains that we had. Did some destruction to some of the roads. Yeah, farmers are willing to assist, but mm-hmm. I mean, legally they can't repair the roads themselves. They need to focus getting the assistance from mm-hmm. the government, mm-hmm. and hopefully we will work with government. Mm-hmm. Farmers are willing to assist where they can, but ultimately that's the mm-hmm. job of government. That's uh, the job for government to provide that enabling environment. That includes infrastructure, and that's what we pay taxes for. Do you think technology will be the thing in the coming years? And from your point of view, what changes will it bring? Well, technology is the management practices, and uh, we have seen a worldwide phenomenon of farmers are getting bigger and bigger, and definitely it assists their management, but secondly also to increase their productivity. Mm. Productivity leads through to profitability and making us competitive. So we can't compete with other countries if we don't have the same technology. And yes, technology will help us to produce more, help us to manage our risk, and also help us to provide more jobs for people. It just makes it more sustainable.
0: Thanks, Etsetso, And great having you join us, Crane SA CEO, Dr. Peter Taljart. Now, you'll know how much I love the Agri 101 segment on this podcast. And this week's guest is Copano Makonyane, owner of Copano's Apothecary, a Johannesburg based agribusiness. She tells us all about her product line she created to treat her eczema. Kopano, we know you started this product line after experimenting with treatments for your eczema. But where did the idea of actually growing it into a business come from?
1: I would say mostly out of necessity. I think it was in late 2020. When I developed a really bad eczema, I still got the scar on my arm over here and down my side. And I was just like, oh my God, I wasn't on medical aid or anything like that. And my mom kept pushing me to go to the doctor. But I said to her that I don't think that's all the way necessary. I went online. I did the thing that I always do, which is research, research, research. I happened upon a recipe for skin ailments like eczema, etc., And I got the herbs. And I made the skin salve and I put it on and it worked like a bomb. I think I joined like a herbalism group on Facebook. And I asked them also, what can I do for eczema? And they said, oat bath, oat and rooibos tea sea bath, and then calendula oil and comfrey. And honestly, from that day on, I was like, I'm not turning back. Essentially making my own products and while well, trying to, within reason, obviously. Like if I'm really, really sick, then I'll go see a doctor. But if it's nothing like and I can make something to help heal myself, then I will. That is a very good place or there's a balance that can be met between allopathic medicine and herbalism.
0: What are some of the challenges that you faced within your business and what do you find is the most rewarding aspects? So I started during the pandemic. One of the big
1: doorstop within South Africa was the sale of alcohol and alcohol is a very key component to making tinctures. So when the lockdown said that you know alcohol be sold, everything stopped. I could not make any tinctures. And that was a really big hurdle at first. When the shops opened I had to like get many liters of vodka so that I could make enough tinctures and stuff. So once all of that was sorted and you know alcohol shops stayed open, then it was the thing of is this a viable career option? Am I getting enough clients to sustain my life, essentially? And I was finding that, no, I wasn't. And you're know, sure, probably on my part, the fault of mine, for not advertising well enough. You know, there's so many components owning a business that sometimes we enter into and we like don't realize just what a monumental thing it is. Businesses need marketing, advertising. They need branding. They need... yeah. They need so many things. They need safety testing. They need all these things. They need clients who are willing to come back. For a person like me who wasn't really into business, I've never really studied business. I never, it was so, it was a massive learning curve. It still is. You know, there's some things that I'm so grateful I learned early on, like asking for help. You know, marketing, for example, is not my strong suit. I'm a bit shy to talk about the good part of the tincture or the skin self or the sore or the fake good. I'm just like, here you go, type this out and then tell me what you think. (laughs) I'm not going to like, I was talking to my partner because him and I have a business together and I was lamenting the fact that I would really like stable income. I'd really like to find a job where I'm not the boss and I don't have to worry about anything else. Just doing my job and getting paid. But in that conversation, I also realized that I really love what I do. I really love helping people. I really love seeing people go from not knowing something to knowing something and feeling empowered by their knowledge. I love seeing somebody who had period pain and she kept ordering my product and I was like, this is a miracle. This is so exciting and I'm so happy that people are finding useful these things that actually believe in it so that's a big thing seeing people be empowered by what i make seeing the value that it gives to other people that is a very strong motivator for me i mean for the other businesses it's all creative work for me for example baking i love the precision and the creativity that goes together just like the herbalism the precision and the creativity it's like the best combination great for my adhd mind I love having exactly like the step that I need to follow and having creative input on those steps. It's like my favorite combination. Helping people, that's the one. And the precision and creativity that goes behind all of this.
0: Do you have any tips or pieces of advice for people who want to follow in your footsteps? I think I have two that I can think of right off the bat.
1: You are absolutely smart enough to do it. That is the thing that I would say to everybody. You are smart enough to make your own medicine. Nothing is out of your reach. If it is growing in your garden and if you have access to like the internet or something, some kind of information, storehouse, even grandmothers, mothers, if you have that, you can absolutely do it. There's nothing that is out of your reach. You don't have to go to this big herbalism school to make your own medicine. And I guess the next thing would be just do it. Fear is a thief of joy. It's a thief of progression. It's a thief of excitement. It's a thief of your own esteem. Fear needn't be there when you're wanting to start a business. I mean, it will be. I mean, it's terrifying you're putting your heart out there for everybody to see and criticize and scary, but just do it. Whatever it is that you want to do, just do it. There is help out there. You just need to find it. I would have put more into finding a cheaper supplier. Another thing I would do is ask for help. Ask a lot more for help. Ask people who have started businesses for fundamental things, like how do you do market research? What is a good way to register my company? Are there bodies like that? Getting financial help, financial things, how to keep your books right. I would ask for a ton more help and not rely on my own understanding.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Kopano Makonyane, and everything of the best with your business. Next up, and before we let you go, our book of the week is Restoration Agriculture by Mark Shepard. The author believes the movement towards restoration agriculture is growing globally.
5: We can have countries whose governments are in collapse simply because some little day traders on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange decided to buy up extra wheat futures at a thus-and-such a date in the future and economies tank. Food is that important to our economic survival, it, it ripples through everything that we do. After having gotten to farming myself 20 years ago now, I've realized that guess what? It is, it is about agribusiness in that the smaller family farms, if we want to survive, we have to band together and collaborate with one another. We can use whatever model and form we want, whether it's LLCs, LLPs, C corporations, cooperatives, whatever works for the people involved. But we have to stick together and continue to you know, raise our livestock in a humane manner to grow our crops without herbicides and pesticides if we so choose. Because if we don't hang together, surely we'll hang separately. I get to see a lot of farms in a lot of different places, a lot of countries around the world. So I get a very big picture on agriculture. And the interest in restoration agriculture, where we imitate natural systems, we're not gonna totally mimic a natural system, but we'll base our designs on natural systems, and we use perennial plants. Uh, the movement towards that in the past few years has just exploded. The interest in that has really exploded. So I am hopeful for the people involved that they're on a better path already, because when you have a perennial system in the ground, Uh, If there's a fossil fuel hiccup, something happens with electrical power, whatever the deal is, you've got a perennial food system in the ground. You're going to have something to cook, you know, to eat. You're going to have something to trade with, something to sell. You're going to have wood to build with, fuel. You'll have all of your basic needs met in perennial systems.
1: Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving.
2: It's yummy. It's good for you.
1: And the whole family loves it. It's Grain-Filled Chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens, the or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land.
0: Sounds like a must-read for me. Thanks so much for joining us author of Restoration Agriculture, Mark Shepherd. Remember, if you'd like to review a book for us, or perhaps you have a book suggestion, please feel free to email us at info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, our farmer tip of the week comes from Shamima Nazir, private wealth consultant at Fairburn, a division of Old Mutual. It starts
2: with a CV. So maybe you didn't do farming previously, but building that CV in terms of your work ethic and how you manage your work, shows a lot in terms of how your passion drives you in terms of the direction you want to take. In terms of that also, you're an expert or you consider your expert even for an existing farmer in what you do, but you're not an expert in finance. So seek the coach because when you have the coach or the partner who understands how to do the financing and how to create the financing opportunities, then you're starting at a point where somebody is guiding you and coaching you in the right direction. Even if you're an existing farmer and you've never done the financing part, because the experts can take you the step further and further. You understand the soil and you understand what happens with everything in farming. These people understand the financial aspects of how to take your business forward. The other aspect is, so now you get the funding. How do you manage the funding? So that's also a key aspect. What is the things that you really need to move forward? How do you protect your equipment? How do you look at what happens if the weather doesn't play well? And how do you secure that?
0: And our Farmer Tip of the Week from Shamima Nazir, Private Wealth Consultant at Fairburn, a division of Old Mutual, brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Insight track. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who really go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Plus, don't forget to catch our weekly sessions on all things farming on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. And remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. And be sure to check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. From me, Donumdu, our producer, Megan van de and the rest of the Food for Zanzi team have a great week.
1: Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to
0: foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.